This is the Assumption Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. When dawn breaks, mercies arise. Assumption Church is a Roman Catholic community under the care of the Franciscan Friars Conventual of Our Lady of Angels Province. It is a community of faith which is active in service and its ministries bring the gospel message of peace, reconciliation, and love to Syracuse and all of central New York. Your glory here among us, great is our hope. I'm Sister Karen. I entered community about 13 years ago. In my prior life, I grew up in Fulton. I went to um, the Peace Corps in Central African Republic. And then I was, um, I got a job with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service restoring wetlands. Um, and I was in Cortland for 13 years. Um, and then I entered the Sisters of St. Francis, and I've been trying to, through my years as a sister, trying to integrate the ecology and the environmental information that I gained through my past career with St. Francis's um, love of nature and, um, and Franciscan ecology, is what they call it today. Still learning, um, very integrated, but um, I love talking about St. Francis, and I'm going to try and keep this short. I'm leaving a lot out because, as you can see, there's three big books on the table, um, probably about a, two inches thick. These are all the documents that have been translated from um, either Italian and Latin to um, English, and they're all documents that Francis wrote or documents about St. Francis. And you can actually get like a doctorate in Franciscan studies of just studying about St. Francis. So there's a lot there, so I'm just trying to tell a couple of fun stories about St. Francis so that we can get the feel for who he was. Um, it, today you can see Francis a lot in like statues in the garden, covered in bird poop, you know, the animals around him. And that's the kind of Francis we, we imagine, like a Dr. Doolittle character, where, you know, he's just this nice, friendly guy. And, um, but there's so much more to him, as you can tell by these three volumes of books here, um, than just his love for animals. That's important. And um, so we're having two new people enter our presentation. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jess. Thank you so much for coming. So um, to understand Francis a little better, we kind of need to understand what was happening in the world at the time that he was born into, because it, it kind of makes sense to a lot of his stories. For one thing, there is a ton of wars. They would go to war with, like, Syracuse and Liverpool would be at war with each other, you know? <laughs> You're talking about your neighbors, right? Um, wars between countries, wars between kingdoms. It's also wars between the church and the state, you know? Or all the crusades the church was doing. A lot of wars. There was also, at the time, a lot of um, heresies going on in the church. Um, there was a lot of corruption in the church. Priests were actually just receiving their paycheck and not saying mass. So they would just hang out at home, drink, have a good time, never show up for work, <laughs> never say mass. Some priests wouldn't. So there was a, and some of the priests, if they did show up, 
they didn't give a homily or they didn't even, or they gave a homily that was so not theologically correct or anything, right? Um, and so at this, that time, people were just craving spirituality, craving knowledge of God, just really trying to grow in this, really wanting something more. Sound familiar about today's society? And so um, these religious groups were cropping up. But um, some were actually heresies. One was um, a person um, that there was spiritual and there was material. Material was evil, spiritual was holy. So our bodies were evil, but our spark of divine in us was, was good. So to be totally spiritual, you would stop eating because that is a material food being put into a material body. So therefore, to reach God and be the most spiritual person ever, you starved yourself to death. That's a heresy going on. So there is a lot of craziness going on in the church that day. Um, also, and... In the economic system, you could be a noble or a merchant, right? So if you were in the nobility, you own land. Your wealth came from land, owning land. If you owned land, you needed knights, you needed protection, right? So more wars, more things. You also owned peasants. Peasants were, were people that worked on the land to grow the crops that made wealth for the nobility, and they were able to keep some of what they grew for their own livelihood. And, um, and so this was the, the um, nobility class. Then there was the merchant class. And they just started making coins. Um, and they had like coins for the church and money for the church and money for the state. So, um, so Francis's family was a merchant class. And you could find wealth in um, the coin and money and sales and trade. So if you can, you've been to a CC, Jennifer, and for those who have been to a CC, it's a hill. And most medieval towns were, up, were hills. So you'd go to the top of the hill, and that's where nobility lived, because they were the most wealthy. In the middle of the hill was mostly the merchant class, the business owners. That's where Francis lived. The bottom of the hill were poor. Outside the city walls were the poorest of the poor. And as they say, stuff flows downhill. There was no septic. There was no sewer. There was nothing. So the nobles threw all the garbage out on the road, all garbage, right? And the merchant class did the same. So when you were in the poor and the poor living at the bottom of the hill, it was not a nice place to live, but it was better than living outside the city walls where you had no protection from um, um, gangs that would come through, burglars, um, um, all these wars that were happening, you were protected with the city wall, you were totally vulnerable outside the city walls. So in comes Francis in about 12, 1180, 1181, somewhere like that. His father was a cloth merchant. He probably met his wife, Pika, in France while he was trading cloth. Pika had a son named Angelo. So Francis had a half-brother named Angelo. And Francis loved being the most popular person. He was vibrant. He wore the best clothes. He loved wearing all the great cloth of his um, father's shop and um, spending his dad's money. So if there was a party going on, Francis would go to the bar and all his friends, he would pay their bar bill. 
So if they went to the party, Francis was paying. So of course he was well loved, mm. right? So um, in the, that time, people's dreams were glory and riches, a little similar than today. Glory and riches. And the way you got glory and riches was either by becoming a knight and fighting for the, um, the nobility, or you were a wealthy merchant class. In 1201, Perugia was a nearby town that always fought with a Sisi. And um, I think it was in the news a couple years ago where the college student was going to a college from the United States was going to Perugia in a college and she got up, caught up in some murder of her roommate. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. still exists today, that city. And so Assisi went to war with, a, with, at, um, with Perugia. It's like 20 miles away, I think. It's close by. Well, this was Francis's chance for glory and riches. He was excited. He would have a chance to become a knight. So his dad let him have the strongest horse they had. He bought him the best armor. And Francis was excited to drive, ride his horse off into the sunset and go to war and become a knight. He was very excited. The problem was, once war started, you have this person who's never been trained in any of that, sees his best friend killed and all this gore and guts and and violence and death, and he freaked out, and he got captured right away. So some see a little bit of parallels between like the story of St. Ignatius of Loyola, who was a, um, a knight for a long time and fought in all these wars, and Francis. The difference is Francis really was not good at it. <laughs> right <laughs> off the bat, he gets caught. And so he was captured and held in uh, a prison with all the other prisoners with like no heat, no water, you know, no really bad conditions for up to a year until his dad was able to raise the money to pay for his ransom. So while he's here in this prison, he's getting sick. He's getting, they probably thought he had malaria or something. He'd get these fevers, um, just very weak. So once he was released from the Prussian prison and was able to go back to Assisi, he was in very, very poor health. It took him a year to recuperate from this illness. So now what is Francis going to do? He's, he knows he doesn't want glory and riches through knighthood. He knows that he really doesn't like working in his dad's merchant the cloth store. He's tried it. He was actually very good at it because he's so outgoing. People, he'd convince anyone to buy any fabric. He was really good at it, but he didn't. It, it didn't speak to him of what he really felt God was calling him to do. So, um, all, since he wasn't working in his dad's shop and he wasn't doing anything, and he's like 25. This sounds familiar. He's not doing anything. Just kind of roaming around the townspeople, thinking that he's lost it. He has lost it. He's just crazy, right? So when he went around town, he hear, you know, people talking about him. So he would find solace in these caves around um, Italy um, and around Sisi. And he'd just go in the cave and he'd pray to God. And he'd find quiet enough to listen. And he just knew he was called to something. He just didn't know what it was. He's still not feeling well. Still really in this fog. But prayer really helped him through it. He starts feeling a little bit closer to God. He had a strong relationship with God, but he's kind of, it's changing. His relationship with God is going through a change. 
He's riding his horse one day. The way, the best way to find, understand Francis is through all these stories. And the one is Francis and the leper. Now today, we don't use the term leper because it's really a derogatory term that have people who have Hansen's disease. So we really call it people suffering from Hansen's disease, right? But this person who's covered in sores lives on the outside of Assisi, not within the walls of Assisi, is not allowed in the city, outside begging for any money, any food to survive. And so normally when Francis saw a leper before, he would cross the road, hold his money, he might throw them money. Well, how arrogant is that? You know, just throw them a couple coins because he wanted to help them, but he didn't want to get close because they're, you know, contagious. This time, though, because he feels closer to God, he gets off his high horse, comes down, and he gives the leper a kiss, the person suffering from Hansen's disease, and gives them some coins. What Francis came to understand, there isn't much difference between someone who is suffering with such an awful illness that has to beg and can't take care of themselves and doesn't have you know anything in himself. Um, he's broken. He doesn't know where he's going. He ha he's sick from this war. He starts to see that they're, they're one. They have the same father, God. And so it's no longer this scary person who can make me sick, but it's actually God before me. So that was a very profound experience for Francis. Another thing that he would do is go to the nearby churches and just sit and pray. And one of them was called San Damiano. And it had this huge Saint da Damian, um, San Damiano cross, the cross hanging in this church. And it looks like the one there on that picture. And um, one time he's just sitting there and he recites this prayer. Most high, glorious God, enlighten the darkness of my heart. Give me, Lord, a correct faith, a certain hope, a perfect charity, sense and knowledge, so that I may carry out your holy and true command. Isn't that, we've felt like this before, haven't we? Where we're like, what in the world? What do I believe? Where am I going? You know, it's a, it's a true prayer of discernment. Finally, Francis was able to hear God's voice after a year of spending time in these caves and praying. And he heard the cross say to him, Francis, go rebuild my church, for you see it is falling into ruin. Go rebuild my church, for you see it is falling into ruin. Now this is where the controversy comes in because people say he misunderstood it because what he did is he went and went and tried to rebuild the church, this physical body of the church. Um, where is he going to get the money for this? The same place he got the money for paying all the bar bills, right? So can you imagine being a father coming to your shop that gives you and your family money to survive on, selling going in, it's like almost empty of inventory and the horse is gone because Francis went to Fallujah to pay, to sell it all so he can get money to rebuild this church. And so um, the priest at San Damiano knew Francis's father 
Francis's father was an explosive, angry man. He said, I am not touching that money. <laughs> I am not even coming close to even taking that money. So he refused to take the money. Francis's father realizes what he has done and beats the crap out of him, locks him in the basement for one whole month until he snaps out of it. You're going to work in my shop. You're going to pay me back for all this stuff. And you are going to um, um, wake up and do something. You're in your 20s. You need to do something. You're going to do it. But locking him in the basement and beating him is not really a great idea. Once his father went traveling for uh, another um, uh, business trip, his mom released him, went down in the basement, um, released him. He was actually chained in the basement, so he couldn't escape. So released him from the basement, and Francis went out and um, was hiding because he didn't want his dad to find him again. When his dad did, he brought Francis to the bishop for allegations of, like, talk to him. You know, it's like, you can do something about it. You're the bishop. So the... Um, the bishop, Francis, gave his dad back all the money from the sale of that, of the clothing and the horse and everything. And he also gave back everything to his father. He's standing in front of the bishop in this court case situation, and he strips naked in front of the whole townspeople because he knows the clothes he has on belong to his dad. He didn't work for him. His dad, they're all his father's. So he renounced everything his father has ever given him. The house, his clothing, everything. All of his livelihood he just let go of. And he said, I now say my father who are in heaven. So he pretty much denounced his whole family. And um, the bishop covered him in his mantle, taking him under the protection of the church giving him a habit of a poor um, person in the town, and that's what Francis, is, Francis wore for the rest of his life, a poor habit. So Francis starts getting to work. He's going up and down Assisi in all the towns, begging for rocks, begging for materials to rebuild this church. And... Um, he was living with nothing. He was living outside the city walls of Assisi, living with people with um, illness, um, beggars, everybody, just finding little communities to live with. And, um, and he really didn't have anything. He begged for his own food. He became exactly like the person with Hansen's disease and who he um, hugged, other than he was healthier, you know. Um, he began... Um, after he built San Damiano, rebuilt San Damiano, he then started rebuilding three other churches. And if you can imagine when you don't have any purpose, you don't know what your purpose is, you don't know where God is calling you, you know it's going to be something, but you just don't know what it is, right? Um, when you find that and you find a direction, you're just so filled with joy and purpose and excitement. And so... When Francis is rebuilding these churches, even though he doesn't have much, he doesn't have, he came from wealth, he let it all go, he has nothing now. He doesn't even have the protection of the city walls. He has nothing. And, um, but he's happy. 
his friends who used to pay their bar bills started saying, wow, what's happened to you, Francis? You're really like, you're on fire. You know, what, what happened to you, you know? And he's like, oh, I know exactly what I'm, I just love this life. Everything's great. So they said, well, we want to, we want to join you. So men started coming and being part of Francis's um, thing and following him. And so once there was quite a few um, brothers who were following Francis, he's like, well, we need to make this official. Remembering all the heresies that are going on in the church, he did not want to be considered a heretic. So they wrote down a simple rule in life in which to follow, and they presented it to Bishop um, Guido of the Bishop of Assisi, and he thought it was great to have people of this stature in his, um, his diocese or area. So um, he said, that's great, but then they needed to go to the Pope. So Pope Innocent III, after they walked to Rome, their rule in life was granted, and they had a document that said, you can go preach, you know, simple preaching, around the town so that they would not be considered a heretic. They were within the church. Around 1212, if you watch it, anyone see any biographies of St. Francis, the movies of St. Francis or anything? Well, they always show Claire as this demure, falling in love with Francis and just wants to be with Francis. And it's so wrong. You know, it's like, no. She was an amazing spiritual woman who was already giving away her dowry um, to give to the poor, to um, serve the poor. She, she had a very strong prayer life. When she heard Francis preach, she's like, you know, that's the image of God I have. I feel the same way about God as he does. So her cousin Rufino was one of the friars. So he set up a meeting between Claire and Francis so that they could share their faith. And they were like on the same page. You know, have you ever found one that you just click with and you're like, wow, that's exactly it. So in 1212, she joined the friars, but you can't have a nobility person hanging out with these guys who don't even have a house. They have nothing of their own. They go and they stay in these old abandoned structures or they stay in one of the churches, Francis, um, rebuilt, but they're going out in the world. And you can't have a woman who is so demure and protected of the nobility traveling around by herself out in the wilderness. So she moved into San Damiano, um, the church that Francis rebuilt, and she started the Poor Clares, uh, which are still alive today. They're throughout the world. Each one is a, um, has their own monastery, um, and she was the She's really considered the co-founder of the Franciscan movement because the friars, when Francis died, she was their spiritual hub to keep them on point. They would go to her for advice, and they, she kept the movement going forward for the men and the women. More poor Claire monasteries are cropping up everywhere. She was the first woman ever to write her own rule in life and have it accepted by a pope. She's an amazing woman. But this is about Francis, so I digress. We'll get back to Francis. So there's other women around and men who are interested in what Francis is talking about. They're really, they're going, wow, I want this too, but I don't want to be a friar and I don't want to be a poor Claire. What do I do? So Francis wrote a rule in life for people just living their lives out in the world. 
And it, right now they're called, they've become the secular Franciscans. And from the secular Franciscans back then, there's also men and women who are saying, you know, I'd like to have, you know, get a little group together, you know, and, and have other women with me or other men with me so that I can do more. We can get our finances together, support each other through prayer, and have a little bit more um, consistency in our life and be supportive of one another. And then, hence comes the third order regular, which is what I am. So the men and women, um, third order regular of um, St. Francis of Assisi. So third order is secular Franciscans who live in their own homes, do the, um, but meet once a month and have vows to a fraternity. And then there's the vowed members of the third order, which are the sisters and brothers. So there's actually third order regular men's communities. Um, that's Steubenville, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, how are you doing on time? Okay, so um, stories of St. Francis. Who heard about the preaching of the birds? So Francis, this is a turning, another turning point. He's traveling through the world with a couple of the friars, and there's this flock of birds there. And he goes up to the flock of birds, and they don't fly away. So he starts preaching to them, you know, love God and be gra gracious for everything God has given you. And they're listening. They're listening to him. So they don't fly away. So he's like, I have been remiss. I have only shared my knowledge with people, but really all creation is on the same page. We're all called to be gracious and to praise God in whatever way we can do. This is a turning point for him to see a creature as just a lovely little thing, but as a creation of God that also needs um, that God put there for a reason, right? The Wolf of Gubbio. So when I was in formation, I was reading this story, I'm like, it never happened. Because I'm looking at the ecology of the wolf saying, yeah, that wouldn't have happened. But what happened is there's this town in Fasisi called Gubbio, and there was this wolf who was tormenting the whole town, eating their pets, eating their sheep, chasing people out of the woods, you know. And it was very violent, and it was, they were afraid of it. So Francis comes in, and they know that he likes animals. So they're like, Francis, help us. This wolf is tormenting us. So the mayor of the city um, comes and helps him find the wolf. They know where he is. So Francis sees this poor wolf that's starving. And he's like, he's not angry, he's hungry, feed him. So um, instead of killing the wolf, instead of ostracizing the wolf, Francis befriends the wolf. And the wolf has a pact with the city to say, I will not change your, chase your pets anymore, I'll not eat your sheep, I'll not chase your kids, You'll be, I'll be good, but feed me. So the wolf would go throughout town and people would feed him table scraps. The funny part about the Wolf of Gubbio is today there is a Franciscan um, church there, and under the altar is a um, skeleton of a wolf. So what's this? Is it real or not? All right. My all-time story of St. Francis, though, is perfect joy, and it really helps explain Francis. So at the time, the the community had probably about, I would say, 5,000 plus 10,000 friars that have joined him. I mean, and um, some were actually priests that were joining him. 
And so there was like a little bit of tension between, okay, I'm a, a priest and you're not a priest, and so who's more important? And Francis kind of tried to squelch that, right? And so perfect joy, Francis says, um, um, write this down. This is what perfect joy is. It is not if all the princes of the world became Franciscan. It's not if, like, the most popular, um, wealthy people joined our, our movement. That's not perfect joy. This is perfect joy. We're walking in the middle of winter, and it's snowing, and there's ice dripping from the habits, and we're freezing, and we finally come up on a friary, and we knock on the door, and they say, who is it? We're like, it's Francis, let me in. And they're like, we don't need your kind here. You go away. And he's like, for the love of God, let me in. And they're like, no, go to the Crozier's house down the road, and you can stay there. It was like a, hospice, a, a hostel, right? He's like, perfect joy is if my heart is still full of gratitude and I held no ill will against the friar and the door. That is perfect joy. So the, the punchline of this story is, it's not who enters the friars, it's how we are interiorly and react. At this time, there is a lot of tension with having someone who is a little bit more theologically um, 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 trained to be the head of the order. But no, he said, whoever takes it over, we have to be grateful. The other story is the saint and the sultan, which is very um, potent today. So there is another crusade happening, this time in Egypt, and the church wanted to go there. And Francis is like, he has this vision of total destruction. We are going to lose. People are going to die. Now, the people who fought in the crusades are the ones who couldn't afford to go on pilgrimage. So if you went on pilgrimage, you could have your sins forgiven, right? So if you went on a crusade, you could have your sins forgiven. So for those who couldn't afford pilgrimages, they could go on a crusade to have their sins forgiven. So Francis is like, don't go. We can't do this. We can't. It's going, everyone's going to die. It's going to be a bloodshed. Don't go. Talk to all the people in charge of the war, the crusade. Nope, it was going to happen. No, no way. So he went to um, Damietta in Egypt to try and stop the war there. It wasn't happening. Still, all this tension of the war. And he's like, the only recourse I have is to talk to the sultan on the other side. Maybe he'll stop the war. So him and another friar crossed the enemy boundaries and was able to, they got captured and beaten. And he's like, take me to the sultan. So they take him to the sultan. And Francis is saying, please, don't do this war. And he's like, we're not the ones who started it, you know? And so um, for three weeks, Francis spent time with the sultan. Malik al-Kamil was his name. And the sultan um, really respected Francis, going, wow, this is a real, true Christian. I mean, he really lives what he says. He, he doesn't have anything. He accepts everybody. He's grateful. He's loving. He's kind and compassionate. All those... Um, wonderful values. He's like, this is a, a real true, true um, person here. And Francis saw the same in the Sultan. 
he, even though there was this war, he connected spiritually with this guy. And um, after three weeks, the sultan said, you can have anything you want. And Francis says, I want the horn of war. It's the horn you call to war. And so the sultan gives it to him. It's in the, the basilica in St. Francis, the St. Francis Basilica today. So what did Francis want? The horn to call to war. And um, when Francis came back, all of his documents, you could kind of see he has this praises of God. It's very similar to the Muslims' 100 words of God. So he kind of like learned a lot about God through the Sultan. Another aspect of the diamond. And then um, shortly before Francis's death, maybe two, three years, um, he goes up to Mount Laverna after he meets the Sultan, comes back in the community. People thought he was dead. So, you know, no way of communicating back then. He was gone for years and years. He comes back, and the whole order is changed. All of his vision is thrown out, and they're, they're, they've got friaries. They've got storage in their friaries. They're not living day by day. They're not living the vow of poverty he wanted. He's like, this is crazy. So he goes up to Mount Laverna, um, a spiritual place that was owned by the friars. And he's praying. And when he was praying, he gets the stigmata, the signs of God. So he has holes in his hands, holes in his feet, hole in his side. And um, he kept that quiet until, the, um, until his death when he died. They, they were able to see the signs of God there. Claire would give him wrappings and make wrappings for his feet and hands for him. She knew about it. Very few people did, though. So um, the other thing that really brings Francis home, which could be like presentations of like, um, um, there's books written about it, and I could give presentations forever on it. I have. Jess has listened to it many times. Before he died, he had probably had malaria and had this eye disease, and he couldn't see the sun well. The treatment for this was to take hot pokers and put them on his temples. Yeah, so um, he, he was just a hurting unit. All the aspects of the, the, uh, what happened to him when he was a prisoner, to his travels to the, um, the Middle East, all of that, just catching up with him. And his, he didn't eat much. He really didn't take care of his body physically. Um, all started coming, and he was just really sick. And so during this time of illness, he had a little, little shed outside of San Damiano, and Claire and the sisters would minister to him. And he wrote this um, Canticle of Creatures. Most high, all-powerful, good Lord, yours are the praises, the glory, and all honor, and all blessing. To you, most high, do they belong, and no human is worthy to mention your name. It starts with humility. Where are we? Gratitude and humility. Praised be you, my Lord, through all your creatures, especially Sir Brother Son, who is the day and through whom you give us light, he is beautiful and radiant with great splendor and bears a likeness of you, Most High One. Praised be you, my Lord, through Sister Moon and the stars. In heaven you form them clear and precious and beautiful. Praised be you, my Lord, through Brother Wind and through the air cloudy and serene and every kind of weather. 
through whom you give sustenance to your creatures. Praised be you, my Lord, through Sister Water, who is very useful and humble and precious and chaste. Praised be you, my Lord, through Brother Fire, through whom you light the night, and he is beautiful and playful and robust and strong. Praised be you, my Lord, through our sister Mother Earth, who sustains and governs us, and who produces various fruit with colored flowers and herbs. Praised be you, my Lord, through those who give pardon for your love and bear infirmity and in tribulation. Blessed are those who endure in peace, for by you, Most High, shall they be crowned. Praised be you, my Lord, through our sister bodily death, from whom no one living can escape. Woe to those who die in mortal sin. Blessed are those whose death will find in your most holy will, for the second death shall do them no harm. Praise and bless my Lord and give him thanks and serve him with great humility. It starts with the humility, it ends with humility. And in the middle, it's all gratitude. Praised be you, my Lord. Gratitude, graciousness. But to see every creature is brother and sister. So instead of seeing like a stewardship model of the Benedictines have that we have to be good stewards of the earth, Franciscans don't really say stewards of the earth because we're not stewards of it. They're our brother and sister. We're family. We take care of family. It's more of care for creation. You care for creation because God created it and everything is our brother and sister because they all have the same creator. And to live in this right relationship with all creation, we need to live in right relationship with each other. We need to bear our tribulations in peace. We need to forgive. We need to, to um, let go. And we need to have conversions, the second death. The first death is conversions, to let go and to continue to grow in self-knowledge and work on those growing edges and learn more about ourselves so that we can learn more about our creator and who God created us. And the more we learn about God, the more we learn about ourselves, and then we can just give it all back to God humbly. That is the crux of the whole Franciscan theology right there in that poem. Um, it's the Shema. Hear, O Israel, there is one God and God alone. Love your Lord with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is what this poem is about through the Franciscan lens. So on October 3rd, Francis passes away, surrounded by his friars. They find the stigmata, and they're like, holy cow, what's this? And we celebrate that today. We celebrate it in the transitus, um, the passing of Francis from this world to the next, and the feast days on the 4th. Franciscans today are all over. It's a big, huge family. We have very much about reform of following the, um, the rights of the church, staying true to the teachings of the church like EWTN and, and St. Teresa. We have friars like um, Michael Crosby who talks about how do we move this church forward, how do we reform it to live the, uh, and bring to fruition the Second Vatican Council. So they're like on opposite ends of the spectrum of theology, but the Franciscan family is big enough for all of them. There's actually Anglican Franciscans. There's lots of different types of Franciscans. Francis is very ecumenical, is throughout many, many religions. 
And then the secular Franciscans, and of course the third order regular. I had to put our community in the middle there. So the one thing, um, two things that God does not know. Anyone hear this before? What a Jesuit is thinking. <laughs> and how many Franciscans there are in the world. God does not know. We don't know. You can't count them. We're everywhere. There's first order, second order, third order, and then there's the fourth order. Those who have Franciscan hearts, who live the Franciscan charism, but are not a secular or they're just living the life of a Franciscan. And who's a Jesuit and a Franciscan? Pope Francis. And if you want to learn more about the, have examples of Franciscan theology today, watch what the Pope is doing. First thing he did is pray for me. Right, not accept the big, huge, bulky, um, over-the-top um, um, vestments that they tried to put on him when he was um, selected. Nope, rejected. I'm simple. I'm for the poor. Everything is for the poor. Um, getting back to that, bless me. I need your blessing. Um, just watch Pope Francis, and you can learn a lot about what um, Saint Francis lived back then. No red Gucci shoes. <laughs> so today's world, you see a lot of, there is church corruption, right? It's run by humans. There's always going to be corruption because humans are not perfect. Franciscans reform within the church, right? There's a lot of division. The best sample was our elections this 50-50. How many close elections did we have that had to be recounted and recounted and recounted because there's such division in our community, in our world right now. Francis is all about community. There's room for everyone. There's room for every, every, every person. Every, bring who you are. You're accepted. There's a lot of greed in the world today. Franciscan poverty, owe nothing of your own. Live simply so others may simply live. Racism is on the rise in our community today. But Franciscans talk about the dignity of every human person because they're created by God. There's a lot of wars coming up, and we're very afraid, I'm afraid, that we will come up, we'll have another war coming up. We're in war now with a couple, but, you know, oh my, just, it's scary. But Francis, especially through the Wolf of Gubbio, peace, nonviolence. A lot of environmental destruction going on today, but Pope Francis wrote, care for our common home. How do we care for this home that God gave us, that that we share with everybody, and it is God's. God, we're here for such a little time. Everything belongs to God. Care for our common home. So we have in front of us um, some really good biographies. Um, Francis of Assisi by Adrian House, The Reluctant Saint by um, Donald um, Spoto. Those are really good, readable ones. I'm reading one now. It's um, Francis of Assisi by Joan Mueller, and it's a novel. It's a historic novel. So it reads like a novel instead of like a biography. I find it more enjoyable. If it was in a movie, it'd be great, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, you can also get little books on Francis, and the, um, um, like the song goes on. It's out of publication, but we have it at Assumption. We use it for um, um, Francis Core. There's little books that you don't have to, you know, it's just like, a little booklet on the life of St. Francis. Um, another book is Dating God 
by um, Dan Haran. It's it's he was only he was less than thirty when he wrote the book, so it's very much um, for young adults. And how do we live this Franciscan um, values in our world today? And um, and if you like stories, and Mar Murray Bodo is a Franciscan who um, who is a, more of a poet. So there's the journey and the dream of Francis, and everything is a story. It's just a wonderful story after story after story. And if you would like, I have these Spirit and Life books, a Franciscan guide um, for spiritual reflection, written by Dan Haran and his um, and Julian. Um, can't see her last name there. Um, and Wallace. yeah, Julie Julianne Wallace. So you can take one of those if you would like. Thank you all for coming on this day Thank before you. Thanksgiving. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. In you are every day becomes eternity. Thanks for listening to the Assumption Church Podcast. To listen to more episodes, connect with us in our community, or join us for worship, please visit assumptionsyr.org. Light of the world.